You're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. True or false, combination lipid therapy is unnecessary, especially in light of the proven effectiveness of statins. Let's find out. Joining me today is Dr. Greg Brown, Professor of Medicine in the Cardiology Division at University of Washington School of Medicine. He is also the Principal Investigator of AIM High. Welcome to the show, Dr. Brown. Nice to be with you. In answer to your first question, false. False. All right, so we need more than, obviously, statins. Right. The fact is that statins are very important drugs. They do reduce risk by about 25 to 35 percent, the more potent statins up in the 35 percent range. But that leaves you 65 to 75 percent of people who would go ahead and have the same heart attack that they had, even if they weren't treated. So there's what's called a residual risk. Furthermore, there are some abnormalities of cholesterol and triglycerides and other lipids in your bloodstream that contribute to your risk. And the statins don't really treat the triglycerides and HDL very effectively uh, as they do with the LDL, the bad cholesterol. It makes sense. I mean, there's there's many other chronic diseases in medicine that we all treat with numerous medicines to get people to goal. As you know, combo therapy is used in diabetes, arthritis, lung disease, hypertension. It's very common. So let's talk about the theoretical advantages of, of using combination therapy in hyperlipidemia versus just using, let's say, a high-dose resuvastatin to try and knock down triglycerides, raise HDL a little bit, and get LDL to go. First of all, why not use just a very high dose of a single agent? That's a strategy that has been popular, particularly with the statins, just push the dose up higher and higher. But as you get to a higher dose, you begin to get into the toxic effects of any drug, and not just statins. They're actually a very safe drug, but they're at the 80 milligram and higher doses, they've had some potential complications. So they also have additional benefit as you go to a higher dose, but their toxic therapeutic ratio, if you will, uh, gets to the edge, and uh, you can't go much further than a particularly high dose. So, And that's where you get your 35 40% risk reduction. So what are we going to do to get the other 60% risk reduction? I'd like to talk about risk reduction for a moment. Many times the numbers sound much better when we talk about risk reduction, but we're always talking about a relative risk reduction. What What kind of absolute risk reduction do we see with statins? I'm pretty sure it's only, you know, a few percentage points. So there's got to be enormous residual risk out there if we're talking about absolute risk. Yeah, absolute risk depends on your diagnosis. If you've already had a heart attack or had clearly defined heart disease or a stroke, other vascular disease, your risk is quite high. If you're in the general population with no history of heart problems and perhaps have a high LDL cholesterol or a low HDL or both, then your risk is moderate and high is above 20% risk of cardiac event like a heart attack in the next 10 years. Uh, That 20% risk is considered a high risk. Between 10 and 20% risk of that event occurring in the next 10 years is considered intermediate risk. And then low risk is less than 10% chance of having an event over the course of the next 10 years. So it turns out that the statins give the same relative risk reduction. If you happen to be in the high risk category, um, and you get a 30% risk reduction, you, you reduce your risk by actually something on the order of 6 to 10% over the next 10 years. If you're in the intermediate risk, your risk reduction is 
percentage-wise the same with a given dose of a given statin, but the absolute risk is less because you are at lower risk to begin with. And the same is true for the low-risk patient. So actually relative risk is is something you use in connection with someone's known or predicted risk. For example, the Framingham Risk Score gives you a estimate of what your next 10-year risk is. Given that, then you can say, well, if I give a drug combination that results in a 30% risk reduction, I can estimate what the risk reduction is. It's not always accurate. It's a bit of a uh, a prediction game that uh, you know can't always work, but that's the difference between absolute and relative risk. And you're right, absolute risk reduction, even in the highest situations, is on the order of 6 to 10% for the next 10 years. Dr. Brown, in your clinical practice, are you seeing a lot of situations where where combination therapy is required and or, you know, you think would be a good boost to get people to go? I'm a practicing cardiologist. We've looked at our cardiac catheterization laboratory patients who come through with a diagnosis of coronary disease. About half of them have a low HDL which is defined uh, by the American Heart Association and the federal institutions as um, an HDL in men less than 40 milligrams per deciliter or in women less than 50. And as I said, about half of our patients have that abnormality. Now, the statins don't treat the HDL very well, and yet it is a well-established risk factor. It's really just as important as LDL. Today, we have not had good ways of treating the HDL, although there are effective methods that they're not as popular as the statins. So if you just take that simple example, half the people in our cath lab who have coronary disease have a low HDL, and we rarely use anything but a statin on those patients. And yet, for that reason, their HDL continues to be low. So, yes, we do have plenty of situations in practice where patients who deserve combination therapy for a kind of a combination abnormality don't get treated completely. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm talking today with Dr. Greg Brown, professor of medicine in the cardiology division at the University of Washington School of Medicine. Dr. Brown, what kind of evidence, epidemiologically speaking, is there to show that when we do treat these multiple risk targets, uh, you know, such as HDL and triglycerides, that it actually proves to be more beneficial in terms of extending life or decreasing events versus just attacking LDL alone? Well, epidemiology only tells you what the likelihood of benefit is. They're not done as treatment trials. But there are many trials out there now. The Framingham study is the most uh, well-known. There's a comparable study in Germany called PROCAM. And then many individual examinations of the risk of various lipid abnormalities have been done. David Gordon's paper is is a very important one from the late 80s. And during the early 90s, uh, there were a number of studies that looked at individual populations and said, okay, now what if this patient has a given LDL and HDL and triglycerides, what are the risks and how do those lipid values predict them? And out of that comes the general consensus that's really quite strong, that LDL is an important risk variable, but HDL is just as important in terms of the percent change in HDL predicting a percent increase in risk or the percent change in LDL predicting a percent increase in risk. They're both comparably powerful, We focus mostly on the LDL now because we can easily treat it with statins. But there's the next wave of treatment is going to be 
focusing on the HDL and the triglycerides, which contribute to the risk and which, in fact, are predicted by epidemiology to be just as important as treating LDL. The important consequence of that is that uh, if you can lower your LDL by 30% and increase your HDL by 30%, you can think about a 60% reduction in your overall risk. That's how the numbers work out in the, from the epidemiology predictions. Let's talk about some of the targets that are usually ignored with statins, such as uh, LPA. Can you talk a little bit about what that lipoprotein is and, and how effective agents out there are at lowering it? They say LP little a because it's a lowercase a in parentheses. LP little a is a uh, particle which was discovered about 25 years ago. It actually is an LDL particle which is molecular bind to another protein called apo little a or lowercase a. And those two bound particles actually are extremely high risk for reasons that we don't quite understand. We don't know why LP little a is there and what mechanism it serves in survival of the fittest, but nevertheless it's there. When you have a high LDL, your LP little a concentration contributes substantially to additional risk. The only drug that lowers LP little a is niacin, although estrogens also lower LP little a. And in, in women with high LP little a, estrogens actually reduce their risk. So we have some evidence that lowering LP little a is beneficial. And we also have clear knowledge that it is an additional risk factor. How often, as a, as a cardiologist, do you see people coming in, having some sort of event and having a normal LDL, and then you go back and do some more investigations, and you see that they actually did have a high LPA? You know, if you have a patient who says they have a strong family history of coronary heart disease, I find in just my usual practice that about half to two-thirds of them will have a high LPA. So... LPLA is an inherited gene, and it gives you an inherited risk. So I use the family history of heart disease as an uh, indicator that this patient may well have high LPLA. If so, then there are two things to do. You can be more aggressive with your lipid LDL-lowering therapy, get the LDL down, or you can use niacin, which is probably the most effective drug for reducing LPLA. You mentioned getting the LDL down first. I, I've read and uh, heard that when you lower the LDL significantly, let's say to below 70, that the the power of the LPA kind of loses its effect. It, it loses its atherogenic abilities. Is, is there truth to that? That's absolutely true. In fact, Dr. Marr, who worked in our lab, published that observation about 1995 in the JAMA, and uh, it's held up over the years. It sounds like, you know, if we were to pick just two lipid drugs instead of three or four, and which would have the most favorable alterations to lipid abnormalities, it, it sounds like a statin and niacin are the way to go. That's a good combination. Most of the evidence that we have is focused on that particular combination. Although, there are some compelling studies, although they're small, that various combinations seem to, to work. In the FAT study, for example, we had an LDL-lowering drug before the time of statins, and we used a bile acid binding resin, which is uh, not an easy drug to take. It's like taking sand three times a day, but it's actually very effective at lowering LDL. We combined that with niacin and, and had a 75% risk reduction in that population compared to the placebo-treated patients, so 75% fewer heart attacks and deaths. There's a number of small studies done at the University of California, and again, another one in our center using uh, niacin and, a, and statin, and a third one using a resin plus niacin at the Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. 
all of them seem to suggest that you can get somewhere between 60 and, and 80% risk reduction when you treat both the LDL and the HDL, and that's as epidemiology would predict it. We're almost about out of time. I was wondering if you could just comment quickly on what, what AIM High is looking at. Well, because these studies are small, the ones I've just described, we have attempted and others are attempting to treat a larger number of patients on the order of 3,000 patients with established heart disease, low HDL, and high triglycerides. This is a population that is at highest risk because of these lipid abnormalities and for whom we would predict the greatest benefit from from combination therapy. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Greg Brown, for coming on the show today. And for comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals.